Hello and welcome back to the Get Unstuck and On Target podcast. I'm Mike O'Neill with Bench Builders, and we're speaking with thought leaders to uncover tips to help you break down the barriers that are keeping you or your business stuck. Joining me today from Seattle is Ian Hameroff. Welcome, Ian. Thanks, Mike. It's great to be here. I'm looking forward to our time together. A little bit about Ian. He is the founder of the Fulcrum Group. It's a marketing company that helps bridge the gap between the product innovators build and the audience they want to reach. Brian Rutberg, a future podcast guest, recommended Ian, and I'm glad he did because I've enjoyed getting to know him prior to us recording this podcast. I was also drawn to Ian in part by the importance that his firm places in helping their clients create breakthrough moments. And I'm looking forward to learning how they go about doing that. So Ian, let's just jump right in. You're in Seattle, I'm in the Southeast, and I have this notion of what life is like, the business world is like in Seattle. I know you've worked with some very name-recognized companies. The nature of your kind of work, do you work a lot with the, the companies that we associate with the Pacific Northwest, or do you go all over the country? Yeah, and while we are Cloud City, both from the standpoint of having two of the three, actually now all three, more or less, are up here in the Northwest with Microsoft, Amazon, and Google, all you know, powering the internet with their cloud solutions and cloud technologies. And we also have the cloud, says you know, our reputation uh, certainly holds true, uh, although not all, the, all, all throughout the year. It's quite beautiful here for many parts of the year. Uh, the companies I work with are all high tech, uh, whether they're based up here in the Northwest uh, or throughout the country or even around the world. I primarily focus on business-to-business high-tech companies. In these days, especially startups through the scale-up size companies that I predominantly partner with, there is some aspect of cloud, some aspect of the software-as-a-service model that is baked into what they're offering. You work with primarily high-tech companies. If you were to describe what differentiates high-tech companies from other types of companies, what are some of those things that you notice are most different? It's a great question because really today, what company isn't a technology company? Or maybe putting it in a different way, what company can uh, sustain and grow without being a technology company? Now, I think there's a very big difference between, say, a Microsoft or a Google or an Amazon or even smaller size companies, many of which are the clients that I work with who are dedicated to developing, building, marketing, supporting high-tech solutions that often become empowering tools for other businesses, regardless of whether or not they consider themselves a technology company. So at the end of the day, we're all technology companies. And in fact, technology makes it possible for you being in the southeast corner of the country and I being in the northwest corner of the country to even have this conversation to begin with. It's pretty amazing. As I kind of think of products, my mind automatically goes to making an actual product. But we're talking about high tech. And when I introduced you, I was describing how you take a product that might be a little bit hard to describe. It could be an app or the like. And how do you make known the availability of that 
to the target audience. Is that the kind of the niche the Fulcrum Group tends to focus on? And in fact, it's my biggest area of passion. And part of it comes from my own sort of career path and experience. You know, I started on the product side. I went to school for engineering. And unfortunately, I wrote a bunch of code that wasn't particularly good. So they said, hey, why don't you go over to, to the marketing side of the house? Because I had this ability to wed my deep passion and desire and capacity for wrapping my head around you know, complex things that technology often introduces and marry it with my love of storytelling. And this is why I've always gravitated towards product marketing or roles related to product marketing, because we uniquely sit between those innovations that are built and the audiences that are meant to be the consumers of them. And it can be difficult for either side to understand each other without someone uh, like myself who often comes in and helps bridge that gap, as you mentioned earlier on. And, and the way we do that, the way we, we make that sticky or we create what I love to call breakthrough moments is through storytelling, is through you know, taking the essence of the innovation and crafting it in a way that's going to resonate and break through to the audience that it's meant for and who it's trying to reach. As I'm listening to you and I'm trying to imagine as you're working with a client, it seems to me that it could be very clear in the client's mind of what is it they offer. But if they can't convey that to their audience, then are they essentially stuck? Yeah, in fact, the, the aha moment that happens is been so consistent with, with companies that are just getting started or have been at it for 10 years. And for me, I have found it's really easy for innovators to get wrapped around the details, wrapped around all the facets and functionality because you're very close to it. And you've probably put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into creating the, the innovations you have. So there's a common trap or you know, tar pit or, or an area that they can get stuck, which is they focus too hard on telling all the what it is story. And they tend to forget and remind themselves why it matters. And more importantly, why it matters to the audience they're trying to reach. So my methodology, the approach I take is always starting from that prospect of, okay, I get you got cool stuff. And, and believe me, I'm a, a complete nerd when it comes to all these different types of technologies, which has been an awesome aspect of working uh, as a consultant is I get exposed to such a wide variety of technologies and spaces and markets. But remember, your audience doesn't have the time or nor has spent the time to know your technology to then figure out why it's applicable to what they're trying to solve or what they need. This is why I am always coming in and asking the question, why do you exist? For whom? What is it that you're solving for them? And what should they expect as an outcome? Because you cannot expect the client, the prospect, to do all that calculus on their own because they just don't have the time. And if you expect them to do that on their own, they're just going to go somewhere else or just not do anything at all. You know, you describe how you can come in and you ask the why and when you find that they've called you in, maybe because they realize, this is not going according to plan, perhaps we're stuck, or it's real clear in our mind, can you help us? As you're working with a client, particularly early on, what are the feelings that, that you are seeing them 
have when they are stuck as a client? It, it's, it's interesting. What I have found in many cases is I get brought in for something pretty tangible and tactical. Hey, we need help with our narrative or we need help with some content to be able to scale our story. It's something as simple as uh, a presentation all the way up to you know, a whole range of supportive materials, enablement and the like, or even just you know, help figuring out how do they go to market? How do you think about their partner strategy? How do you think about launches? So usually the symptom, the thing that brings me into the equation is you know, very tactical and, and, and tactile rather. But in the process of trying to deliver that is where the fun really begins. And that is going through and helping them understand and letting a lot of the minutia details sit to the side until we've answered some very fundamental questions. The other thing that I've found extremely helpful to help not only my clients get unstuck, but even myself in the journey of working with them to create those breakthrough moments is the application of the five whys. And that is, you know, okay, so you've created this thing, why? Well, why is that important? Now, why is that important? Why will that, and, and just going through that process is so illuminating. And you really do get down to that top line value proposition, the key thing that's going to pick the lock of your prospect's interest, which then gives you time to go through and tell them about all the details and how it works and, and the bits and bytes that usually my clients are most excited about when I first engage with them and want to figure out how to tell that story. Ian, you mentioned the top line value proposition, and we talked about this role of storytelling to be able to take once they come to the understanding of what that top line value proposition is is this when your superpower comes really into play yeah it's really fun thinking through how to tell a story but amazingly, what I tend to use most is not my past experiences, you know, writing or developing content or, you know, all the things I've done as a full-time employee or now as a consultant, which people often associate with marketing or product marketing. Instead, I actually lean in very heavily to one of my other passions, which is photography. Mm. And what's interesting about photography is you don't have the benefits of the thousand words that you're trying to convey in a photo, in a photograph. Instead, you have to do a lot of work to help the audience know where to look. And you know, that, to me, separates a snapshot from a photograph. And in many respects, that same notion of you got to focus in and help the audience know where to look in your story is what I bring into the conversation as we're trying to craft that narrative, as we're trying to utilize storytelling to bridge that gap between the innovation that they've developed and the audience they're trying to reach. And I also constantly remind my clients, even myself, there are so many narratives competing for our attention every day. Just last year, the year before, there was a statistic that said we're exposed to like 5,000 narratives, both in our personal and professional life, just every day. And it's going to be really difficult for anybody, regardless of the context, to hear yours if you're the 5,000 first, but you make it really hard for them to know why they should 
listen at all. And again, that comes back to not only storytelling, but making sure that top line value proposition of all the things you can do, what is that most important thing that's going to break through? Because then you'll get the time to tell them the rest. I love your description of how photography kind of has informed you. It's informed your consulting practice. And this is a little bit oversimplistic, but if they can develop a mental picture of what is it they can offer, then it increases the likelihood that you can help build a mental picture for their clients, if I'm understanding that correctly. And so you are using some unusual gifts, your, your technical ability, your engineering ability, your storytelling ability, your, your photography in a very unique way. So when you're dealing with a client that recognizes, golly, we are 5,000 in one. What might you find? You mentioned those breakthrough moments. What might be the way that you go about really getting that aha that can really differentiate them so they can be seen out there in a very cluttered environment? Yeah, I call this reality-based marketing. It's just another way of saying you got to start from the perspective of your target and work your way backwards versus the other way around. And that begins by first understanding your audience, understanding their needs, their desires, their concerns, what keeps them up at night. Because, you know, often your competitor, the person or the thing that you're competing against, isn't necessarily another product or offering. It's the status quo. Mm. We all have enough on our plates every day. We don't necessarily wake up in the morning and go, we got to change something or it's that evident in every case. So you know, the ahas come from really understanding who are you for? <laughs> Why do you exist and who are you for? What is it you're solving? And it, it, it can be quite stunning sometimes that a, a client doesn't really think of it that way. Primarily because you know they've thought about a cool innovation, and that innovation certainly has applicability. They're not just built, building things in a vacuum. In fact, most of them have started to solve problems they had for themselves. But you also have to remember you're not necessarily the customer after you've gotten something that you're about ready to market. So you know finding those ahas, driving a reality-based marketing approach begins with understanding who you're trying to reach. But that's, to me, the second question after you answer the first one, which is, why do you exist? And you can say they're very close, but I'm very deliberate in starting with that and in working down the path towards, okay, why do you exist for whom? And what should they expect to get? And it seems sometimes like an oversimplification of the situation that a lot of these innovators find themselves in. But it's also very freeing once you understand that. You know, you describe innovators, and if you were to compare and contrast innovators from others, what makes an innovator? It's, you know, maybe innovator is a phrase that gets overused. Maybe mm. it's a bit diluted. I would consider an innovator anyone who's trying to do something different. And innovations can be massive or they can be very small. And we should never 
discount the small innovations because sometimes the small ones have a bigger impact than we even realize. So for me, innovation is doing something different or attempting to change the status quo, which is quite a mountain to climb, or maybe it's just the foothills. Regardless, it is important to recognize that you're going to end up running fast into a wall if you don't understand who you're trying to reach. I appreciate your clarification because innovators could mean a huge idea or it could be a slight improvement on that idea, but that slight improvement can make all the difference. It's Ian, really both. You said something that kind of caught my attention and that is you characterize status quo in a way that I hadn't heard described before, but can status quo be another form of being stuck? Oh, certainly. And sometimes it's easy to forget that you're asking someone to change. And just ask yourself, like, how easy is it for someone you don't even know, uh, who maybe doesn't even really know you that well, to come and say, hey, Mike, you're doing it all wrong. You got to change. Right. And that's a, a recipe for inertia. And if you're able to help them understand that there is a better way and what that better way could be, you can overcome the status quo. But often that is your biggest competitor, whether you're a new innovator or you're a company that has existed for a long time. I mean, that was a, a really interesting aha for me when I worked at Microsoft, for example, in the Microsoft Office business, you know, as new technologies or other vendors were coming into the forefront, like, for example, like Google, you know, there's, like, oh, there, there's our big competitor, there's Google, they're coming up with their own thing. But, you know, more often than not, our competitor wasn't necessarily Google, it was a previous release of Office. And, you know, it's, it's not just a, oh, that was good enough. But the behavioral change to move from one thing to another isn't necessarily any better or worse from doing nothing at all. And doing nothing at all is especially these days where we have to really winnow down what we focus on, given everything that's happening around the world. It can be even tougher for innovators to incite and catalyze a change from the status quo, regardless of what their technology does. So just don't make it hard for your audience to know why. Once they understand why, you've got a better shot of helping them consider that they will. You know, I've been kind of intrigued as you describe very well using words. I wish we had the opportunity for you to use pictures as well, words <laughs> to kind of describe the process that you kind of follow. But it sounds as if you really stay very focused on who is our audience. But before you can even answer that, you have to answer who are we? And what is it we can do for those audiences? And if I understand correctly, how you can bridge that in a way that's meaningful. You use the term reality-based marketing. Is that a common term? Or is that something that you have kind of adopted? It's a good question. I, I don't know of others who have used maybe that particular phrasing, but it's another way of saying what others when, speak about when they say you know, customer-centric or outside-in thinking. I think reality-based marketing is a good way to summarize all of that because it's not one or the other. You know, you, marketing in reality means you have to appreciate the outside-in thinking, but also the inside-out. 
you have to understand why you exist as much as why anyone would care about what you do. And you know, not to oversimplify it, but you know, that's certainly the, the tip of the spear. And I have found that once you've helped someone get unstuck there, the rest of it becomes a much more meaningful and easier conversation. In fact, one of, one of my clients not, not too long ago you know, wanted to focus deeper down the path and had very specific tactical things that they wanted to solve. But by pulling back, you know, almost literally grabbing the yoke and pulling up to a higher altitude and thinking about these fundamental questions, I mean, it was, it's so rewarding for me when I'm able to help someone literally get unstuck in that scenario. And they themselves have said, you know what, you've made it so much easier to make business decisions because I have a check in my mind that says, this is outside of why I exist, or this is not helping reinforce why I exist. And you know, it's extremely uh, exciting for me to see those aha moments happen and truly watch them get unstuck sometimes just from themselves. Well, it clearly comes through that you have a passion for what you do. And it seems to me that you are using your unique skills and aptitudes in ways that really are helping clients. Ian, as we've been chatting, we've covered a number of things. But as we talked prior to hitting the record button and in our previous conversations, I wanted to make sure that the folks who are taking the time to listen in, that they kind of have heard what you want to make sure that they have heard regarding this topic. What might we have not covered that you want to make sure that our listeners hear? I, I think we've actually touched on the key points. You know, first, it's about thinking of the journey. Right. Breakthrough moments is not a I got that done and then move on. They take place throughout the customer journey, whether it's on the buyer side, all the way through they're an active customer and, and beyond. In fact, my uh, philosophy extends from the four phases that I define as you know, awareness, acquisition, driving usage, which is incredibly important, especially for a lot of high tech products. And then you know, retaining. How do you retain a customer? And those breakthrough moments can happen all throughout that process. And you know, just going back to the main point I've made is, you know, it really does start from having clarity about your why. And you know, I'm certainly not the innovator there. I have to give a lot of credit to the likes of like Simon Sinek and others. But I've found and really gravitated towards uh, many of the premises that are outlined in those you know, philosophies and crafted it into my own. And I know from application how effective it can be. And it is incredibly exciting. And you're right, I'm very passionate about helping folks find that. Because once they do, it actually makes my job easier. And most importantly, it makes their job easier and what they're trying to achieve. And again, creates that uh, gap filling or closer, closure of the gap between those amazing innovations that they've built and the audiences you're trying to reach. You are very articulate. I'm enjoying listening to you describe. You, on more than one occasion, made reference to looking back at yourself as much as you're challenging your clients do the same. You've encouraged your clients ask the question, the why. Ask it and answer the why. Mike, have you done the exact same thing for your own business and perhaps for your own self personally? 
Certainly. In fact, when I made the decision in uh, 2019 to go off on my own and start this business, I spent a lot of time asking the why. And I think I got myself stuck because I probably focused more, not probably, I certainly focused more on the what I could do mm. and how I could do it. And you know, it actually just took going out and talking to folks and saying, hey, I'm thinking about doing this thing. And inevitably, I get the question, why? And, you know, it's a little bit of the, was the old line, you know, the cobbler's children have no shoes. Well, my own business was suffering its own challenges that I help others. And in fact, you mentioned Brian earlier. Brian was one of those early folks that I had the opportunity, you know, certainly back before the restrictions were in place to actually break bread with Brian and have that conversation. But you know, it, it, if anything, it's only reinforced the importance of clarity on that. Because once I figured that out through the help of with folks like Brian and others, it made it so much easier to then figure out what I was going to do and how I was going to position it. So yes, 100%. And I think one of the benefits I absolutely bring coming into an organization is a little bit of those two, three, four steps removed from you know the day to day, and combining my capacity and passion for technology is super important for me as well because it means I can get in deep and what I like to say up to cruising altitude really quickly on what these technologies, these solutions, these offerings are, which then makes me even better of a sparring partner for my clients. Because uh, I can understand from a perspective beyond just simply an outsider's view. This has been excellent. Uh, Ian, if folks want to get hold of you online, what's the best way to connect? So you can come visit my website, fulcrum.group. And from there, you can learn a little bit more about a lot of the things we've talked about here. I also have a blog up there that I call the Breakthrough Moments blog where some of the things we've even talked about today, there's deeper articles on. And then you can very easily click and get in contact with me. And I really look forward to the opportunity to hear from viewers of, and listeners to, of, this, of this episode. So let me encourage my listeners to do just that. I have, and I have enjoyed my conversations with Ian. I'm looking forward to continued conversations. So thank you, Ian. I appreciate your willingness to share time with us to share your insights, and perhaps more importantly, your passion. Thank you. My pleasure. I do also want to thank our listeners for joining us for this episode of Get Unstuck and On Target. We've lined up great guests like Ian, and I'm sure you'll enjoy getting to know. We are uploading the latest episode every Thursday, and we hope that you'll subscribe to this podcast and invite other leaders to do the same. The easiest way to subscribe is to go to your browser and type unstuck.show. Again, unstuck.show, or you can go to our website, bench-builders.com. So I wanna thank you for joining us. I hope you've picked up some tips that'll help you get unstuck and on target. Until next time, take care, everybody.